Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Was. Sergius was his Christian name. He loved me madly. And sometimes I thought, but no matter. He is dead now. Killed at Tannenberg. And I, well, I will tell you more of my story. When the war broke out and clouded over that last beautiful summer in 1914, I wonder will there ever be another like it in your lifetime, my Carl. No, I don't think it can ever be quite the same after all this. We were all in the country. Alex was back from his school in Petrograd, and my father kept him at home for the autumn term. How well I remember the excitement, the mobilization, the blessing of the colors, the wave of patriotism which swept over the country. Even I. Even I, under the influence of the specious proclamations that were issued broadcast by the government, with their promises of reform and redress for Poland after the war was over, felt more Russian than Polish. Lies, 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 that was what the government promises were, my Karl. Under the stress of war the rottenness of that great white sepulchre, Russia, feared the revival of the Polish spirit. It might have been awkward, and so they lied with their tongues and their cheeks, and we simple Poles believed them. The peasantry flocked to their depots, little knowing whom they fought, but the proclamations which were read to them told them they fought for Poland, and we women worked and prayed for the success of Russian arms. Then the tide of war swept westward, and all day long and every day the troops and the guns and the motor-cars and the wagons rolled through the village to the west. Guarded hints in the papers seemed to say that all was not well in France, but France was so far away, and all the time the Russians were going west through our village. Mighty Russia was putting forth her strength, and the Austrian debacle was in full swing. These were great days, my Karl, for a Russian. Then, one day, the long columns of men and all the traffic seemed to hesitate in the sluggish westward flow, and then it stopped, and then it began to go east. The weeks went on, and one day, very, very faintly, there was a rumbling like a distant thunderstorm. It was the guns. The front was coming back. Have you ever seen forest fires, my Carl? We had them every autumn in our woods. If you have, then you know how all the small animals and the birds, the rabbits and the foxes, and perhaps a wolf or two, and the deer and the thrushes and the linnets, 
come out from the shelter of the trees, fleeing blindly from the great peril, anxious only to save their lives. So it was when the front came back. Herds of mujiks, the old men, the women, the children, the poor little babies, struggled blindly eastwards through the village. Pushing their miserable household goods on hand-carts, or staggering along with loads on their backs, and weary children dragging at their arms, the human tide flowed eastwards round our house, begged perhaps a drink of water, and then wandered feverishly onwards. They knew not, in ninety-nine cases out of a hundred, where they were going. Their only destination was summed up in the words, Away from the front, away from the ominous rumbling which began to get louder, away from that western horizon which was beginning to have a lurid glow at nights, like a sunset prolonged to dawn. Then, as the Germans advanced more and more, the character of the tide changed, the civilian element was outnumbered by the military. Companies, battalions, brigades, sometimes in good order, sometimes in no order, marched through the village. They would often halt for a short time, and the officers would come up to the house, where my mother and I gave them what we could. My father lived amongst his books and accounts, and bemoaned the extravagance of the war. Then there were the deserters, the stragglers, the walking wounded, the... But you know, my Carl, what an army in retreat means. I must proceed with my story, for time moves relentlessly on. One day, a desperately wounded officer, a young lieutenant of the guard, a boy of twenty-five, was taken out of a motor ambulance to die. The ambulance had stopped opposite our gates, and lying on his stretcher he had seen our garden, my garden. He knew he was to die, and he had begged with tears in his eyes to the doctor that he might be left in the garden. Who could refuse him? He died within two hours, amongst our flowers, with Alex and I at his side. Before he died he begged us, implored us, almost ordered us, to move east before it was too late. We repeated his arguments to my father, but the latter was obdurate, and he swore that a regiment of angels would not move him from his ancestral home. So we made up our minds to stay. Things got worse and worse, and one day shells fell in the grounds and we hid in the cellars. That night all our servants ran away, and my father cursed them for cowards. Next day in the early morning we heard machine-guns fire outside the village, and then all was still. At six o'clock Alex, white-faced, came running into the house. He had been down to the gates, and he had seen the enemy. They were drunk, he said, and going down the street firing the houses and shooting the people as they came out. It seemed impossible, and yet it was true. It was growing dark when we heard shouts and saw lights, and from the top of the house I saw a crowd of singing and shouting soldiers with pine torches, half running, half walking, up the drive. They massed in a body opposite the house. Paralyzed with terror, I looked down on the scene and shuddered to see that every second man seemed to have a bottle. One of them fired a shot at the house and next I remember a flood of light on the drive, and in the circle of light my father standing with hand raised. 
what my father intended could never be known, for, as he paused and faced the mob, a solitary shot rang out, and he fell in a huddled heap. As he fell a boyish voice from the door shouted, "'Murderers!' It was Alex. With his little pistol I had given him for a birthday present in his hand, he ran forward, and standing over my father's body, head thrown back, he pointed his pistol at the mob and fired twice. A man dropped, there was a flash of steel, the crowd surged forward, and—and—oh, my Carl! They had murdered my beloved brother, my darling Alex. The next moment they were in the house. I escaped from my window on to the roof of the dairy, and from there down a water-pipe, across the yard to an old hayloft. For a long time they ran in and out of the house, like ants, looting and pillaging. Then there was a great shout, and for some time not a soul came out of the house. I guessed they had got into the cellars. At about midnight I saw that the house was on fire. In a few minutes it was an inferno, and the drunken soldiers came pouring out, firing their rifles in all directions. I had found a piece of rope in the loft. One end I placed on a hook, and the other round my neck. I was close to the upper doors of the loft, with a drop to the courtyard, and thus I stayed, for I feared that some soldier, more sober than the rest, might explore the outhouses and find me. I was watching this unearthly spectacle, and never, my best beloved, did I conceive that man could become lower than the beasts, but before my eyes it was so when I noticed that the great gates at the southern end of the courtyard were opening. As they opened I saw that beyond them was drawn up a line of men. An officer gave an order, and two machine-guns were placed in position at the gate entrance. Round the guns lay their crews, and the seething mass of revellers saw nothing. I felt that a fearful tragedy was impending, and as I held my breath with anxiety, the officer gave a short, sharp movement with his hand, and a hideous rattle rose above all noises. The pandemonium that ensued was indescribable. Some ran helplessly into the burning house, others ran round and round in circles, others tried to get into the dairy, one man got upon its roof and fell back dead as soon as his head appeared above the outer wall. The place was surrounded. It was horrible. A few tried to rush for the gate. They melted away like snow before the sun, as their bodies met the pitiless stream of bullets. I suppose two hundred men were killed in as many seconds. The machine-guns ceased fire. Ambulance parties came into the yard. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.